Welcome to the Energetic Radio Podcast. My name is Dale Sidebottom. Each week, I'll bring you inspirational guests who will help you bring fun, energy, and purpose into your lives. Let the show begin. So if you're rocking and rolling, I'm rolling and rocking. <laughs> I love that. All right. All righty, guys. This is episode number 219 of the podcast with Daniel Evan. Now, I've called this the Hitchhiking Rabbi Monk. Is that a fair description of you, mate? I love it. Not only is it fair, I love it. I might, I might, I might use it as my brand now. The Hitchhiking <laughs> Rabbi Monk. Because <laughs> Daniel, no joke. I, as I said, this is episode number two hundred and ninety. I've had so many people on the on the podcast. I think it's fascinating. But this, when you contacted me and reached out, I, I read your bio and I've looked into everything you're doing, and I'm simply blown away. And um, multi million dollar business. You walked away, hitchhiked around the world. You studied as a rabbi. You lived as a monk for ten years, mate. Like I'm, a, I'm not going to do it justice. So can you like, how do you paint your picture when you've got so many different hats? I know before you said that's why your hair's gone white because everything you've gone through, your experiences. But do you want to give the listeners a bit of a background, mate? Uh, it's so hard to know where to plug in because I feel like I've lived a thousand different lifetimes this lifetime, and what's ha- It's all been. It's all started around the fact that when I was a kid, I lost my mom and dad two years apart on the same day. And wow. so as other kids, so I, my dad passed away when I was 13, my mom when I was 15, and they passed away at the same, on the same day, two years apart, at the same exact time. That's how connected they were. And what I, what I, I was just a kid. I was a very sheltered, naive kid. And so I, I asked the adults, like, where did my parents go? What happened to them? Where are they? Because I missed their, they loved, I grew up in, in a great family. We weren't wealthy. We didn't have a lot of money. My dad was lower middle class, but what we lacked in money, we had in love. And we just sat around the table and laughed and we were, and, and I know the feeling of what it's like to have a child and to love them unconditionally. I have a developmentally delayed daughter and there's nothing she could do that would, that would make me love her one second less. Even though sometimes she's very difficult to love, I'm sure I was very difficult sometimes to love because I had, I was full of shenanigans and stuff. But <laughs> I felt so unconditionally loved by them. When that love went, I wanted to know where it was, and I asked the adults where my parents are, and they said they're in a place called heaven. So what I didn't realize until years later, until about until about almost 40 years later, 45 years later. When I was writing my book, The Mosaic, I, didn't, I only realized then that the adults told me that they were in a place called heaven. And I set out my whole life to try and find that place called heaven. And so whereas most people would have done one thing and stayed with it, when I saw that that wasn't the heaven I was looking for, I left because that wasn't what I was looking for. So I had a chance to run a multi-billion dollar uh, corporation. And I walked away because it wasn't what I was looking for. I hitchhiked or I went to school and studied psychology and I, I had a chance to start organizational psychology with a man that founded organizational psychology. He wanted me to be his right hand because he saw something in me and he wanted me to work with him and do that. But that wasn't, that wasn't where my answers were coming from. I put my thumb out on the road and I hitchhiked around the world for two years sitting on street corners and talking to people and trying to understand, even when I couldn't understand them and we didn't speak the same language, we communicated with the language of the heart where we would sit on street corners and just, I would draw and they would bring wine and, and, and uh, bread. 
or, or, or olives or whatever it was for the region. And we would just sit and have the greatest time in the whole world. And we couldn't even talk to each other. <laughs> and I love that. I went to rabbinical school and I was, I studied to be a rabbi. I was one day away from it being ordained. And when I realized this isn't what I'm looking for, this isn't going to give me the answers that I want. I can't get ordained in this. I left there and started a restaurant and a bookstore in San Francisco in the really cool area of San Francisco, thinking maybe I just need to relax a little bit and just have fun and do a fun business that'll be really fun. It, the business did really well, but I looked and I said, this isn't what I'm looking for. And from there, I, I joined a monastery and I sat for 10 years in a, in a monastery, meditating up sometimes up to 18 hours a day. And that was close. I mean, I found something there that I liked, but what I didn't like is when I left the monastery and came onto the street, I wasn't the same guy that was sitting in the monastery. I didn't want, I didn't want to live a life where behind the wall I looked, I, I led this life and outside, outside of the wall, I led another life. And I said, how can I bring those two together? And while I was away on a, on a trip, because I, I organized uh, from the monastery, I took people on pilgrimages all around the world, traveling to different countries and, and leading pilgrimages with them. And when I came back, a woman that I had known in the monastery was there to pick me up. And I thought, what, what are you doing here to pick me up? They, you know, I should do with my brothers. And they said, well, she said, you're going to be in for a little surprise. I said, what happened? She said, while you were gone, I moved you out of the monastery and into my house. And I said, why would you do that? And she said, well, we've been a little flirtatious. So I thought maybe we should try having a relationship together. And I ended up marrying her and we ended up and we ended up having a daughter. So I left the monastery and I, and I was with her and we ended up having a daughter. And my daughter was developmentally delayed. And my, for my wife, for both of us, that was really hard. But for my wife, it was really hard. And she ended up getting developing late stage breast cancer and, and spent the last two and a half years of her life in the, in the most terrible situation you could ever imagine. She was in blood curdling, screaming pain for 45 minutes, every 45 minutes on, she would be 45 minutes in pain, 45 minutes out of pain. You could have tied, you could have cooked an egg to it. It was that exact. And, and when she wasn't in pain, she was recovering and she was okay. When she was in pain, she was just screaming her lungs out. So between taking care of my wife, who was in blood curdling, screaming pain all day, all night for two and a half years, every 45 minutes, and my daughter who was developmentally delayed, who we were trying to homeschool, Oh my God, I, 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 thought, I, I thought there could be no worse situation than this. This is so hard. I don't know what, what I'm going to do. And then it passed. My wife passed away. And then I, I started working with a company called Hay House. Hay House is, a, is, a, is now the premier self-help publishing house in the world. They, we, when I came to work with them, they were making $3 million a year in sales when I left we were doing $100 million in sales and I was the director of business development and me and the man who was the head of it were, were partners really, but I wasn't financially a partner, but we just did all the stuff together. I, I, would put, I would grow it out, go out and bring people in and he would close the things because he was brilliant. And so together we helped make this company something that was fabulous. And I created things that nobody could ever created before. And it, it grew really, really well, but that wasn't the heaven I was looking for either. And so I found all these situations that most people would have been so happy to find one of them. But Dale, here's the interesting thing. Throughout the course of all that time, I had the opportunity to be with the richest people in the world, not in their lecture halls, but at their dining room tables. I had the opportunity to meet their parents and play on the floor with their kids. 
they were kind enough sometimes to ask me my ideas on what they were doing. And they were even kinder to give me counsel on what they thought I should do. I also had the opportunity to sit with some of the most inspired people the world's ever known, people that were inspiring millions and millions of people through their books and their talks. And I was the one they came to when they wanted someone to, um, that didn't look up to them so much that they could actually be real with and tell and cry in front of me and, and, and tell me all their problems. And I sat with them and listened to all their problems. And I also had the opportunity to sit on street corners with the poorest of the poor in multiple countries. Sometimes I couldn't understand a word they were saying, but sometimes I, I could. And they would introduce me to their family. It might not have been their born family, but it was their friends of family that they would, we would sit around together and I would bring bottles of wine and, and lo loaves of freshly cooked bread and big pieces of cheese. And we would share meals together, not like we did in the richest of the rich homes. These were on cardboard boxes. The ambience of the atmosphere was a cold, a cold, sometimes chilling, cold, rainy that night that we would just sit together and still eat and drink together. But what I found in every single case, Dale, is every single one of them wanted the same three things. They wanted to be loved and accepted. They wanted to be listened to and heard. And they wanted to be acknowledged and validated. It didn't matter how rich they were or how poor they were, what religion they practiced or didn't practice, what color their skin, what border they lived behind, how, how revered they were or, or scorned they were. They all just wanted those three things. And I realized I could do that. I didn't need my, my rabbinical training or my monastic training or my collegiate training or any of those things. All I needed was a heart that cared enough about somebody that when I actually said to them, hey, how are you? I really cared. Yeah, I just spoke to someone the other day and, and she was a little bit gruff. And I said, hey, how are you doing? She said, you don't give a damn about how I'm doing. And I said, I said, uh, how do you know that? She said, because nobody gives a damn about what anybody else is doing. I said, I ain't nobody. You know, I, I'm sorry you feel that way about the people that you've come in contact with. But here's somebody who actually does care. I'm not saying it as a salutation. We say, hi, how are you? And you say good and great and fine and we move on, right? But when someone actually cares enough about another person to say, come on, how are you really doing? We got a global pandemic going on. We got race relations going on. We got a women's movement going on. We got, we got inner stress. We got stress around, amongst uh, different borders and countries and, and, and the ways people believe. How are you actually doing? They say, well, I'm not doing that good or great. Actually, I'm, I'm scared as hell or I'm frightened, or, I, or I'm not, or I'm, or I'm, you know, I don't know what to do. And then you start to have a conversation. And when we just listen to people, amazing things come out. And when we don't have an agenda of what we think they have to do, but we just listen to them and care enough about them to just say, brother, sister, I love you no matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you do. Well, I love you for the, for the fact that you're with me spending time together with me right now. And that yeah. makes me so happy. Thank you for spending this time with me. Daniel, that, mate, just listening to that, not often, and people listening to this, as I said, 219 episodes, not often I'm stuck for words, mate. But firstly, your story, incredible. And um, for everything you've gone through, to have the positive energy that you do is incredible, mate. So hats off to you that. But I don't want to unpack any of that yet. I, just what you've just really said there is, do you think what we need more in the world and what you said from that previous conversation that you just said there, we need to be more empathetic. We need more empathy in the world. Is, is that what you're, is that what you're seeing? 
I wouldn't say that anybody needs anything. What I'm saying is this is what I, this is what's been given to me to do for some reason out of all the 8 billion people in the world. I feel like what's been given to me is this, is this idea to create a revolution of listening and caring about people. And I want to just be able to hold the space for people to feel loved and accepted, listened to and heard and acknowledged and validated. It's such easy thing to do. And when it was given to me, I said, like, you must be so far down on the totem pole to come to me. Like, I'm not good at any of that stuff. Like, why would you choose me? Of all the people, there are 8 billion people. There must be better people to do this than me. And their answer really surprised me. They said, there's two reasons why we're doing it. One, because you, you really aren't good at it. You suck at it. And we want you to learn how to do it better. And, and two, you have an ability to tell a story that captures the mind of people. You're, you're able to occupy the mind of people in the storytelling that you do. And you're interesting enough that people's mind gets absorbed in your story. And what that allows you to do is it allows your heart to connect to their heart and your soul to connect to their soul without the interference of their mind. The mind is what normally gets scared and says, what are you doing? You can't, you, I'm not going to let you in here. But because you're, you're not doing any hocus pocus stuff, you're just, you're just telling an interesting story and their mind gets occupied and the natural love of your heart and their heart can connect. The natural connection of, of your soul to their soul can connect. And they don't think about the differences anymore because we're caught in this in experience in the same story. And so you're actually way better at it than you think. So when you speak to people, make sure you speak not only with your mouth, but with your heart and your soul. And when you listen to people, make sure you listen not just with your ears, but with your heart and your soul as well. Because often what the mouth says and the soul says is entirely different. Mm, that, very true, mate. And I think one of the most gratifying and educational things you can do is traveling. And by the sounds of things, like you said, you know, you've traveled the world, you've done so many different things, you've lived around the world and you've spent time with the richest, the poorest, um, the most engaged, the elderly, the young, everyone like that. And it doesn't matter what language you speak. I personally feel um, the power of play. When, whenever I've traveled around the world, you know, playing some form of game, if that's soccer or football or anything that they play in their native, it's, you don't need to speak their language. You don't need their currency. You don't need to be the same race. You understand them. And it sounds like you've done very similar with just sitting yeah. and, and being present with that person. Yeah. Yeah. I remember just, you know, one of the millions of stories that I could tell you is I was in the little island of Corfu off the, off of Greece. Of Greece. Yep. And I, 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 right. And, and in, in the little island of Corfu, you get these little mopeds and you ride around the island and it's not a big island. You can ride the whole island in a day or two and, and get and go through the periphery. And I was riding through the hillsides and where there, where there were tons and tons of olive trees. And all of a sudden, these, these older women with the, their babushkis on, you know, came, came running and, and flagged me down. I thought, oh, my God, something's wrong. Well, like, <laughs> I got to stop. And what's happening? And they came running and then they sat there, they opened up their babushkas and, and they created a little feast for us of olives. They wanted me to try their olives. And I couldn't understand a word they were saying and they couldn't understand the word I was saying. And we sat for hours just <laughs> laughing and holding each other and hugging each other. And these were like 60 year old women. And I was then 18, 19 years old. It wasn't like, you know, there was any, any romantic interest in it. It was just, they were just the kindest, sweetest people. And when you give the opportunity to people to just give to you and love you, what happens is you feel like for me, I, I don't know what anybody else will feel. Like, that's why I say, I don't know what anybody else needs. What I know is that nurtures my soul in a way that nothing else does. 
And when you have that interaction with people that love for no reason, the other day I was talking to somebody and I said, I said, you have no idea how much I love you. And she said to me, you can't love me. You don't even know me. And I said, but hold on. If we can hate for no reason, why can't we love for no reason? Oh, that's good. Right? That's, uh, anyway, mate, like, sorry to cut you off, but do you find it scares people? I, I tell people I love them and I tell my friends and particularly males. I think this is a, do you know what I mean? Like it's yeah. a stereotype. You don't share those emotions and you don't tell people you love them. And um, do you find that it's very confronting and it scares people? Um, if I am, so earlier on, maybe. But there's something I think about me that has, maybe it's I look like Santa Claus or something. <laughs> maybe, uh, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> or, or, some ho- or some homeless guy or some like wise old rabbi. But there's something about my persona that people just feel safe in my, in my people that, that I've never met before tell me things that they've never told their even closest friends. And, and that there's something in, when you hold the space where people feel safe and loved and accepted and they don't feel like you want something from them, yeah, they might be suspicious from me, for me for a few minutes. But the more we speak and talk together, the more we just are together, and even if we can't understand each other, the more we just love each other and be with each other, they start to open up. And Here's the amazing thing that I found, Dale, is when, I can, when I'm able to hold the space for someone to feel loved and accepted, listened to and heard and acknowledged and validated all the things that they defend themselves with drop off because they realize they don't need, they're not going to need to defend themselves in this conversation. And suddenly when that drops off, who they are actually emerges. And sometimes in the rooms, when I have these conversations or, or, or when I'm sitting at a table with people, sometimes people will say to me, I don't know who I, who I am right now. I've never seen this part of myself before because I've never felt safe enough with another human being to just actually show myself this. I haven't even felt safe enough with myself because I put myself down more than other people put me down. But I'm seeing something in me that I would really like to just continue to see. How can I continue to see this? And I said, just be kind to yourself. That's all. Yeah. For me, I realized, I realized I hit myself so much, you know, like I, I knocked myself down so much. And so after doing this and hitting myself in the face a certain amount of times, I'm going to say, hold it. No, that's not going to work. I'm going to put up a little wall here so I can't hit myself. Well, look how close that wall is to my face. It's two millimeters away. And I don't know if I'm going to hit myself in the face or in the chest or in the groin or in the knees or in the feet. <laughs> so that cylinder goes all the way down, right? Until I realize, hold it, if I'm not hitting myself, I don't need that. Yeah. So I can drop all that. So then how about with you? If you and I come up and our walls are hitting each other, most people think they're having an intimate conversation when, the, when my wall is hitting your wall. We think, oh, wow, we're really close now. But we, haven't, we, we have no idea who the other person is. All we know is our walls are touching each other. When we, when we get to that place and I can say to you, Dell. If I make a promise to you never to hurt you, if I promise I won't do anything but love you, would you be willing to tr- take down one brick of the wall with me? I would be, Daniel. I'd, I'd take a brick down for you, mate. And let's take it. Let's take, and then if that feels okay, let's take another one down. And, and we can stop wherever we don't feel comfortable. 
Like when we stop, feel comfortable, let's just stop. Don't force anything. But what I find is that wall comes down so quickly because people are dying to not have to protect themselves, not have to be somebody other than themselves. Mm. We long to be ourselves, but we, we're not given the opportunity because we always have to protect ourselves from what we think other people will think of us. Yeah, well, and I when think we're it, loved and accepted. Yeah, and when it comes back to really people feel judged, they don't want to be vulnerable. And I know I talk about kindness all the time, Daniel, and I'm a huge believer in kindness, but the, the biggest thing you can do before you be kind to somebody else is be kind to yourself. Why do we Bingo. put ourselves down and we say things to ourselves that we would never, ever in a million years say to anybody else? But for some reason, like you said, we keep hitting ourselves in the face. We, we're happy to do that. It, it's, it's so destructive, isn't it? Yeah. I have on my website, themosaiconline.com, I have a challenge that I invite people to do. And they, I have a bracelet that I made. It doesn't, you don't have to use my bracelet. You can use any bracelet. But it's a 21 consecutive day challenge of being kind to yourself. Nice. And the bracelet says, be kind to you. And, and what happens is it took, me, it took me four months to get past day one. And most of those four months I was moving that. What happens is when you find yourself not being kind to yourself, you take it off of the wrist that it's on and put it on the other wrist and start over. Well, I started over on the first day, probably 200 times. <laughs> yeah. And then over time it's, and it's not a, what, and I got pissed off at myself because like, I thought, well, how am I ever going to do this? How long is this ever going to take? Like, why, why am I so stupid that I can't even be kind to myself for one day, which is both risks, right? But, but soon I realized it wasn't how quickly I made it there. The practice was noticing how often I just hit myself and being kind to myself and not, and not, I'm saying, that's okay. Of course you're doing that. You can, you can put yourself down. Of course you're going to do that. Until you feel comfortable, that's what you're going to do. But imagine what it would be like if you didn't have to do that anymore. Imagine what would happen if you were started to be kind to yourself. Yeah. What would your day look like? How would your business grow? How would your relationships grow? How would your relationship to yourself grow if you just simply did one simple thing of just try to be kind to yourself and love yourself? It would change yeah. everything in, in it, life. It would, Dan and I, I totally agree with that. Like, and at the end of the day, how can you have a powerful relationship or how can you enjoy your job or what you're doing until you love yourself, until you look yeah. in that mirror and the first thing you say is, I'm enough. I love myself. I am proud of you. I admire what you do and I love you. Do you know what I mean? And, and then that will reflect and radiate everything you do. But until you can do that, how can you, and I know myself from previous relationships, I was never fully loving relationships because I didn't love myself. Do you find yeah. that? You, you're more black and white than I am, even though I have a black and white book and a black shirt and a white hair and black glasses, right? Um, look, from, from my point of view, you can do anything wherever you are. And we experience love. Sometimes, like always people would say to me, well, you can't do anything unless you've done it for yourself first. That hasn't been my life. I've been able to love others far better than I've loved myself because I just was able to do it. And, and whatever, whatever ability that I was able to love them with, I love them with. And that brought me a certain amount of ha happiness. But there comes a certain point in time 
when that doesn't feel that doesn't feel enough anymore. When we feel like, why wouldn't we include ourselves in the happiness that we give to others by loving, by the love that we give to others? Why wouldn't we give that to ourselves? And when that comes, when that should becomes a must, as Tony Robbins says, he says, when your should becomes a must, then you start to make that change. But I would, I, I, I believe it evolves even softer than that. The flower doesn't say, how do I get people to come and smell my, smell me? Do I put up billboards two miles away saying flower in two miles? And do I put up road signs saying, turn right here to the flower? No, I just, I open up my petals. And when I open up my petals, the aroma of what's inside the flower comes out. And when people walk by, they smell that or don't smell it. But if they smell it, they stop and take the smell and they're so intoxicated. They just want to stay longer and smell longer. And I believe that's the same process that happens with us. When we start to open up, we start to smell the aroma of our own, of our own presence, of our own beauty, of our own love. And when, we get, and when we get intoxicated with that aroma, like a drunk wanting another drink of alcohol or a, or a drowning man wants another breath of air or, a, or a, a man who misses his beloved wants to see his beloved. When that becomes so strong, that's what we start to do. But if we try and tell ourselves, you shouldn't do this or you shouldn't do that, or it's just another change bracelet and start over again because it's just knocking ourselves down again. Yeah. We have and, to be, be kind to ourselves and gentle. Yeah. And, and with that, so it's not a, it's not a negative each time you move that bracelet from one side to the other. It's like when I've never smoked, but when they say trying to quit smoking that each time you quit and try again, that's another step. And it, it's very similar yeah. to what you're saying there with being kind to yourself. Each time you change that bracelet, it's just another chance to go, all right, let's start again. Give it another go. Yeah. it's a chance to say how beautiful it is that I finally am seeing how I treat myself. It's just like in a sale in sales in a business, you can go and try and sell your product. And when you sell and you get rejected, you can feel down and never want to sell again. Or you can say it takes a certain amount of no's to get to a yes. And so I'm so thankful to get this no right now, because that means that yes is coming. It's, it's coming and it's one, it's one no, it's one no closer. And it just, the book that I wrote, The Mosaic, it so subtly speaks of this, but it's all about what happens when we change our perspective. When our perspective changes, when we start to see the world differently than we see the world now, the world we see becomes a different world than the world we see now. And when we change that simple thing from, oh God, I, I, I keep hitting myself and how terrible that is. So, oh God, I just realized that I'm, I'm one step closer to treating myself better because it takes a certain amount of time until I, until I, and I realize that I just keep doing this, doing this, doing this. And soon I'm going to realize I don't, I'm, I'm never going to do that again because it doesn't feel good. And I'm one step closer. How fabulous. I'm so happy. Let me change my bracelet with joy because I know <laughs> that I'm one step closer to getting through day one and I'll get through day one and then I'll get through day two. And then I'll get to day 18 and I'll make a mistake and I'll start all over again and I'll go, oh shit, or, you know, whatever. And, and I'll think, oh my God, I got to start all over again. But that's great because I thought I was there already, but I wasn't. And that's beautiful. Because look how vigilant I want to be now. Yeah. I, I love it. Daniel, I love that, mate. So 
for the last six months, I've been writing a book and I never realized the, the process that was involved in it. What emotions and feelings, or I suppose, how did that change you writing your book? Because, um, and guys, episode 219, we'll have links in the show notes. Check out the mosaic, um, go and get it. But what, what experiences did that process I don't know, open up for you, Daniel? Um, if I were to say to you that every hair on my head was black before I started <laughs> writing the book. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> so I had been asked to write a story for a, a, a major hotel opening. And the hotel called me into Maui, Hawaii. And they said, we want you to come and brand our hotel and write our story. And I said, great, what's your story? And they said, no, you don't understand. We don't have a story. We want you to create a story because we're opening up this new hotel on this property that's been sitting here for a long time. And, and so I took their core values and I created characters from their core values so that, that they would know actually exactly who to hire by reading the book and seeing the core values of what a guy like this looks like and a woman like this looks like and how and what. And I created a love story. And it took me about six weeks from beginning to end to create that. And it was fabulous. We trained the staff with it. We, we sold it in the stores. We told the story at the hotel. The, 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 the brand that we created was all throughout the buildings of the hotel and the things that happened. So I thought, gosh, this is my story. The mosaic's my story. It'll, it'll be easy. It'll take me maybe eight weeks. Maybe it's going to be a little harder because I'm more personally related to it. Two and a half years later, I was like about to pull out every hair on my head because what would happen is I would, I would write it and I would, I, I, and then I wouldn't like it. And then I would write it. I would put it aside and then I would write it again. And finally I would come up with a chapter that I thought was just brilliant. I loved it. It was exactly the way I wanted to. I saved it like I would every other file that I had. I saved it. I came to it back to it in the morning to see what, to reread it before I went to write the next chapter. It was gone. I couldn't find it anywhere on my computer. It hadn't been saved. Oh. I, would, I, I lost the whole thing. And then I would come back, I would try again, and it would get corrupted. And I couldn't, I couldn't open it up because it was corrupted. Then, then I was almost done writing the whole book, and, the, and my computer crashed. And we were able to get back everything on my computer except the book that I wrote. So I thought, I thought hold it, this is, this is crazy. Like, what in the hell is going on? So I the characters were characters that I made up, but they were based on real characters that I met along my journey. But I thought, I got to talk to these characters. So I, I, I brought them to mind's eye. And I said, why aren't you letting me finish this book? And as if on a Zoom call, like we're talking here now, they were as real to me as you are. And you may be made up in my mind now too, but they were as real to me as you are. <laughs> They said to me, Danny, what you're writing for us to say, we don't want to say, and we can't let you write that for us. And I said, I'm sorry, with all due respect, I created you. You're my character. I should be able to write for you what I want you to say. I mean, like, you're my creation. I can tell you to say whatever I want you to say. They said, yes, you can. But if you do that, you'll be another five years and it won't be done because we'll keep taking it away from you. And I said, what are you talking about? How, how can you have an opinion? You're somebody I made up. And they said, when you made us up, we became real. When we became real, we had a, we had a voice. 
and the voice you're giving it is not the voice we want. You're, t- you're writing a book for other people. We're writing a book that will change you. And when you actually change, other people will change too, because that means it will really get through to you. And so I said, okay, deal. What do you want me to do? They said, just listen to what we're saying to you, write what we say and your book will be done in 30 days. I did and it was. And the voice that came through Dale from them to me was an entire, I've become a different person as a result of it. I was more arrogant and more sort of judgmental and more sort of righteous and more sort of, I only wanted to associate with people that that had a higher vibration. And I only ate in places where people made food cooked with love. The people that I wrote about were, were common, ordinary people. They were a homeless man and a road worker and a blind woman and a gardener and a juice man. They were as ordinary as you could possibly be. And when I asked, why, are, why am I writing about these characters? They don't seem to be people that could show me heaven. In every single case, what happened is, I just heard this voice say, just listen to them, let them tell you their story. And when I sat and listened to them tell me their story, what I realized is the person that I initially saw wasn't at all the person that they were. They were so much more than the person that I saw. And when I saw the person they actually were, I thought, how could I be so off track? How could, I, how could my perception of what I see be so different? I wonder if there's anything in the world that I see that is actually the way it is, or if, is everything just the way I am? And I looked over to my right at that moment, and I saw the monk unzipping the sky, inviting me to come into a parallel reality where he introduced me to the wise one who was the keeper of the mosaic and the mosaic, he was arranging the pieces. He was arranging the way we perceive things. He was arranging the people we would be around. He was arranging the locations of all the, of all the pieces that were in the mosaic. And he hit me on the forehead like that one time. And suddenly all of it became not pieces. It became whole. I didn't know who I was or where I was or what was going on and what time. I didn't know what time frame I was in. Past, present, future were all dissolved into the moment. I could have been in your body and my body and someone else's body. I was in the wind that was going. I was in the bird that was flying by. I was, in, I was, I was at one with everything in creation. And then I had this thought, wow, this is really interesting. I wonder how long this will last. And I woke up on a street corner next to a man who was a street artist making mosaics on the t- in, in a town square. And he looked at me and he said, hi, <laughs> how are you? And I said, well, I don't know what, I, I really don't know what just happened. I was just somewhere else and now I'm here. And he said, I know. He said, I have a question for you. Around him were all these pieces of broken glass and, and, and materials. All, all the people of the village would come in with bags and bags of things that were broken and they would pour them out around them. And he would build these mosaics from all these pieces of, of broken glass that they contributed to him. And he said, when you look at the pieces that are around us, what do you see? And I said, gosh, I don't know. I mean, I see broken pieces. And he said, really? I thought that you would see more from where you just came from. And I said, I said, well, I see the totality of all of it that is, that is broken now and needs to be brought to whole. And he said, he, he looked at me and he said, Danny, 
Broken pieces tell amazing stories. Listen to each piece and listen to the story it tells and start to feel the connection, the interconnectedness of all of it because none of it is broken, you're broken and that's why you see all these pieces around us. When you can see the wholeness of everything that exists, the oneness of all that is already around us, you will see a, a totally different world than the one you see now. So the two themes of the book are that nothing is as it seems. Nothing is as it seems. And when we start to ask ourselves, if it isn't what I think it is, what is it? That's where the fun starts to happen. Ooh. Well, Daniel, I'm just listening to that, mate, that is intense. I, I can't wait to, that, that, just amazing how uh, that process, like, like I could say what the process did to me, but your process is completely different. That's life-changing. And what you're sort of saying, you know, I love, mate, you're a fantastic storyteller or, or very good at your narrative, um, that if we look around the world, things may be broken, but they're not if you look them in the right way. And um, yeah. I think that's essentially what you're saying there, is it? Shift to perspective when you yeah. change your perspective. So for you, as you're writing your book, my biggest suggestion would be that you let your book speak to you instead of telling it what you want it to say. Yep. Ask it. What is it you want me to say in this, in this story? What is it you want this chapter to actually talk about and be completely open to letting go of everything you thought the chapter was supposed to be about. Yeah. Just let it all go and, and see what it wants to say to you. That's really, really similar to life as well. Do you know what I mean? Like I think so many people are driven with goals and where they want to be. Sometimes that's not the right angle or where you're going to end up and just let it go. And I, and I think if anyone can learn anything from the global pandemic we go through, Danny, is that you can't control a lot of things. So you've just got to sometimes let it, the like due course take place really. That's very similar, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But we're not really good at letting go. No, definitely not. Right. Horrible. Right. <laughs> we like to control everything. And so, control freaks. And, yeah. And so, but that's only because that's what we think. Like we're one, we're one perspective shift away from that being an entirely different. Like it, there isn't, there's nothing wrong with being a control freak. It's okay. But there'll be a moment in time guaranteed where your, our need to control things will dissipate and our need to flow with things will be, will increase. And there is, I can only tell you from the little bit that I've experienced flow. Those moments when I am in that flow are so effortless and so beautiful. We think we have to work to find our soulmate. We think we have to work to find money. We think we have to work to find the perf our purpose. All of it is because we're working too hard or trying too hard or thinking that we're in control or we have to do it. When we simply let go of all the things we think we have to do and just relax and receive and open ourselves up to this beautiful energy that's coming into us, it will, it will guide us. It will take us. Learn from my mistakes. Learn from how long it took me to do that, even on a simple thing like writing a, a fable. It took me three years to write it when it could have taken just such a short time if I would have just listened. <laughs> I, think, I think what you're saying there too is that uh, listening, I feel, is the best way to learn. Do you know what I mean? If you're talking, 
a lot of time you're missing opportunities to learn. And that yeah. essentially that's what you're saying that with the process of your story, but maybe that three year process is exactly what you needed at that time, Danny. hundred percent. And yes, we'll, we'll learn a lot, but there's something deeper than learning. I mean, it's not, it's not a mental process only. It's a heart and soul process. Because when we're able to listen to the voice that comes through us, it's not here to teach us anything. We know everything we need to know. We just need to, re- it's just here to remind us of what we already know that we've forgotten. Mm. And sometimes when I'm with people, what, when I hold the space for someone and I just love and accept them and listen to them and hear them and acknowledge them and validate them, it's not like I'm teaching them anything. I'm just letting them be themselves. And when they're themselves, they feel so invincible and so powerful. Imagine being stuck in this silo and and walking around with these walls around you and then letting that silo go and just the sheer bliss of going, oh my God, look at the world that I live in. Look at the choice that I have to just to experience this world and all the beauty of this world and the worlds beyond this world rather than being stuck in the silo of my own controlled thoughts. Yeah. It's not like you're, it's not like I'm teaching anything. It's just everything is available to us with just a change of perspective. And that's the other big thing the mosaic teaches or talks about. It's just when we change the way we see the world, the world we see changes. Mm, Very true. Very true. And then, and I think that is something that uh, as we, you know, navigate through what life is at the moment. It's changing. And if you want to accept that and you want to find the positives in what we're going through, you can, Danny. But if you want to get stuck up on what you've lost or what you don't have, then that's what you'll end up having. So, Danny, like, mate, I've never been speechless before from listening to your story and everything you've done. Where can people grab your book and find out more about you, mate? Because you are one fascinating human being. Thank you so much. My book's available on Amazon. I think that's the easiest place to get it because you're in the UK and I'm in, and I'm here in, in California. So shipping and all that stuff, uh, they can get it on my website too, but it's way easier to just go to Amazon and get it. It's available there. It's available on barnesandnoble.com. It's available on all those internet places. Um, and where you can find out more about me is just danielbrucelevin.com. That's the best place to start. Um, and, you know, Here's, here's the offer that I would like to offer. So often we don't have anybody that we feel comfortable enough with to actually let our walls down and, and just be ourselves. So if there's anybody that's listening, that feels anything from this conversation. If, if, like if you don't feel drawn to what we're sa- what I'm saying, I would, I would just hang up, turn the, <laughs> turn the thing off and, and, and don't worry about it. And right? move on. There's plenty of other like voices. Just, <laughs> there, there, there's so many other voices, okay? But <laughs> if something about what's happened here has touched you in some way, reach out. Let's have a conversation. Because what I want more than anything for the people that feel drawn to the voice that I, that I have that voice means that they want to experience their own voice. And when they experience their own voice, when you experience your own voice, when you experience this inner journey of what it's like to let go of all these things that are blocking you from actually being able to function as yourself, 
oh my God, the joy that you're in for. It is such a beautiful, beautiful ride. And you can get in touch with me through, there's a contact page on danielbrucelevin.com. I'm also happy to give you my email. It's danielbrucelevin at gmail.com. Anybody can email me at any point in time. I'm willing to have a conversation with anybody and free of charge to start. And if it seems like there's something more that has to happen, then I'm more than welcome to um, figure out how we can make that work. We'll figure it out. It's like, if it's supposed to happen, money won't get in the way of it. Let's just figure out how to do it. Love it. Daniel and mate, I, I've thoroughly enjoyed it today, mate. You are, you've got the voice of calm, the storytelling to match it. It's been an absolute blast. So guys, if you're listening, episode 219, go and click on the show notes. There'll be links for everything that Daniel and myself have spoken about today. Um, and yeah, take him up on that offer. It's such a, a kind and generous thing. And Daniel, for me personally, mate, thank you so much. I've loved connecting and I can't wait to share this with my audience. Dale, thank you for holding this space. You're really good at what you do. And thank you for holding the space for me to just show up and, and share with people what's going on with me. I, I thank you from the bottom of my heart.